The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, on today's program, we talk with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator, recently in transition from the University of Oklahoma College of Law to Southern Methodist University. Joe Dancy, energy educator, expert, right here on the Multimedia Cafe. This is Joe Dancy. Joe Dancy with the SMU McGuire Energy Institute. I'm Associate Director. Thank you for joining the program. A couple of reasons we're going to have you on today, but I'd like to start off with an update from the Interstate Oil and Gas Commerce. Now, I, there's I-O-G-C-C, so there's an extra C I missed in there. Help me out. Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission. And That's it's been it. around since the 30s, is what uh, in Governor Marland and the Texas governor in Arkansas and, and New Mexico, back in the 30s, we had a big problem. We had the Oklahoma City field came in, barn burner. We had the East Texas oil field came in, barn burner. We had the Seminole oil field came in, barn burner. <laughs> so the price of oil you know, went through the floor, and uh, the governors figured they better get together and figure out what to do and they put this organization together and now i think they have 37 or 38 states and the governors are all um the appointed point person and they appoint representatives to the uh to the uh commission and we meet twice a year and and quite frankly we meet and we deal with regulators as executives and they got a few academics like myself and so uh Anyway, the, uh, it works really well. We talk about regulatory issues, and uh, we just met in Oklahoma City uh, last week, and we had all the parties were here, and one of the big issues that came up was uh, really a number of issues from North Dakota. Now, North Dakota sort of takes the lead on some of this stuff because, number one, you got some really good regulators up there, and number two, the oil is such a big part of the state. They understand how important it is, but what your governor did um, you've had some pipeline leaks up there. I mean, oil pipelines. And I mean, this is last five or six or seven years where Jason oil, you know, has leaked for, you know, months before they found the problem. And, uh, the governor, they did a big study and found out the North Dakota industrial commission figured out that, uh, doing the statistics, it's more likely that you or I walking down the street or plowing our field or driving down the County road would find an oil leak than the than the uh, alarm monitors. <laughs> and so the governor of North Dakota, and I can't remember exactly what his name is, but... Doug Burgum. He, yeah, yeah, and he, he essentially jumped in and said, look, you know, this is not working out. We need, you know, we need something that's going to find these leaks much faster. We can't have situations where something leaks for two or three weeks before we find it. 
Um, and so what they've done is they've got an association of uh, industry-type folks, including, I think, Boeing is involved, which is a big player. Of course, North Dakota is involved, which is a big producing state. And what they're doing is on a year-by-year basis, they're looking at cutting-edge technologies that uh, can be used to maybe identify oil leaks um, before they become an environmental or safety disaster. And, of course, North Dakota, and and we've had this problem in Texas, too, and Louisiana, and actually Alabama and parts, uh, you get out in the rural areas, and, you know, if you have a 40- or 50-year-old pipeline, Jason, and it starts to leak, you know, if it's... If it's in the rural areas, it can leak for quite some time before they, especially if it's a small leak. And some of the stuff that's happened in North Dakota, they tell me, you know, this one that leaked for a month, it was a quarter size, is a quarter size um, gap. And they think it got, the pipe got hit by lightning. It didn't catch fire, but it, you know, blew out a quarter size piece of uh, pipe and it leaked. And, and literally, it, it's cost them, I mean, $20 million to remediate. It's somewhere up in the, up in North Dakota, but but what they've done, the regulators um, on this, they call the project is called I Pipe. I don't know why it's I Pipe, but it's you know it stands for something. And Intelligent you know, Pipeline Integrity Program. Oh, okay, that, that's that's exactly it. God, you got you got a great memory. I, I forgot. It's it's my home state, so I'm pretty familiar with the. Uh... With the program that you're talking about, we've had uh, some experts on the program here to talk about it. In fact, I'm supposed to be heading up to the Energy Environmental Resource Center this week for a VIP private showing of this particular program, as well as some other ones that, you know, only a handful of invitation type things have been handed out. But it, uh, I'm glad, to, I imagine it was Jay uh, Elmley down there who was speaking on this. Uh, here's a number of different speakers, and I can't remember. I mean, North Dakota had, they always bring three or four people, and one is always Lynn Helms, which oh, is, yeah. I know him because he's a regulator. And did, did he start he off his presentation with a joke? Yeah, he, he starts <laughs> off with the only joke, and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's always stupid, but it's always funny. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoy uh, interviewing uh, Lynn Helms really enjoyed it. I've, in fact, I, I can't think of a bad interview I've ever had with him over the years. He's been very accessible. Um, doesn't I like it because he doesn't get into the political bombastic language. He stays pretty cut and dry, but at the same time, he does have a sense of humor. Yeah, he does, and he and he's very practical. And I can tell you, you know, from a third party, from an academic standpoint, he he takes a very good regulatory stance where he. You know, he takes a reasonable position that's not outrageous and it's not, you know, totally, um, you know, shut everything in and wait 10 years before you figure it out either. He's 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 reasonable. And, and that's the position, of course, you know, he's sometimes he's not the boss, but that's you know his general recommendation. So it's always interesting. But I tell you that the technology they have, there's three technologies they're they're talking about, one of which uses um, satellite data. And then what they're using is um, machine learning, which is artificial intelligence, uh, to actually see if they can find pipeline leaks. So what they do, apparently the satellite data, and you you might be more up on this than I am, but apparently the satellite data, they can almost get it in real time. And so when you take a satellite shot today, and then you take another one tomorrow, and you run it through this machine learning database and program, 
if there's problems, they can actually find they can actually find leaks. And actually, they tested out the the software. They actually had a a they actually made a a artificial leak to see if the satellite and the, and the uh, software would find it, and it did. I mean, one of the problems though that they have with the satellites is um, in North Dakota, if you have like you know two weeks worth of cloudy weather and snow. Um, you can't shoot through. You can't shoot through the clouds. So the the second part of the program is they're going to use drones and drones that are out of line of sight, which is really cutting edge. The the regulations now say you have to keep your drone within line of sight. Which, boy, I tell you what, if you ever flown a drone, if you can see a drone a half mile away, your your eyes are better than mine. It's <laughs> it's difficult, but they're going to be able to put a drone and they're going to run it down the pipeline and they should be able to run it you know four or five miles down the pipeline which is about as far as you can go with the electronics uh, signal and and then use that data instead of satellite data to um with the artificial intelligence and so mr joe dancy ask you to hold that thought for just a moment we're going to take a quick pause when we come back we'll continue the conversation with joe dancy energy expert and educator my name is jason spies and this is the multimedia cafe first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Stood in front of me, always keeping me behind the scenes, and there's nothing that you don't know. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy educator and energy expert. And, and then use that data instead of satellite data to um with the artificial intelligence and so well what what they're doing here is they're they're kind of doing a lateral move with a lot of the research they've done at north dakota state university on agriculture 
Uh-huh. And similar thing where they started out in the satellites and then they went down to the drones um, and then they went down to smaller drones and smaller ones, which probably are the size of a, you know, a good size coffee table in terms of the body. So by, uh-huh. by drones, these aren't the ones you buy at Walmart. These are, you know, about four feet, four, four foot base. And then they have some wings. And honestly, they're like made out of, out of foam though. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not like uh, uh, made out of metal. They're, they're made out of fiberglass and they're made out of foam. And because they just need them up there to basically survey the crops. And so if you right. just take out a row of sunflowers or potatoes and put in pipelines, essentially you're making that lateral move with technology with a lot of the sensors and optics that have already been built through North Dakota State's what we call the brain. Because um, UND, uh, University of North Dakota, does so much with the uh, Air Force that they're kind of the the, the the brawn, if you will. They're kind of the, 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 the machine. They're, that's where the final product is in terms of the the drones are up in Grand Forks. So it's it's interesting to see how they're taking that over because I've been on uh, this program many times with uh, North Dakota Ag Commissioner Doug Goring, and we talk about the day where they have real-time sensors now in the ground about the size of a quarter that relay information to those drones and satellite in, in real time so that if the potato gets, say, a bl- some blight on it, it, wow. then, it then in real time can relay it over to, say, instead of a UAS, you got a, you got a little four-wheeler that's artificially intelligence. That's a UA. It's a drone, basically, but a four-wheeler. And then it'll right. drive down the path, and then it'll just perfume mist, pesticide or herbicide on that potato blight. So that way, saving the farmer a small fortune in, in chemicals. And then, oh, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's pretty much what's going on for the last 15 years in North Dakota with, with the uh, drones program when it comes to agriculture. That's what they've been trying to do. And, they, and I want to say three years ago, uh, Doug Goring and I were sitting in, the, sitting in the lounge doing an interview after a conference, you know, after hours, doing, doing one of those lounge interviews. And that's what we were talking about, real-time information three years ago. So fast forward today. Now we're putting it into pipes to where we're going to have real time. And it sounds like we're really close if they're going out publicly in other states and talking about it, that we're real yep. close to having real time spill monitoring and gas leak monitoring then. So I'm sorry, I, I, I just know a little bit about it. So I want to add a little context for the listeners out there and then for yourself to see, is that kind of what the idea was, is that we're going to get to that real time uh, monitoring? Exactly, real time, because they, they said, you know, you, you aren't going to have to wait a week or two to find it by, and, and actually I asked them, it's been a couple of years ago when the North Dakota study came out, and I asked them, you know, what's wrong with the alarms? Do we have a bunch of incompetent engineers? And they said, well, designing, Jason, an alarm for a pipeline system, you know, natural gas, liquids, or crude oil is really difficult, and part of it is because, like I said, if you have a quarter-size hole and you're just losing a portion of the liquid, I mean, if the entire pipe breaks off in half, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out you got problems because the pressure goes way down in the volume. But if you have a small leak, and apparently most of the leaks are either cracks or they're, you know, they're either cracks or the um, welds fail, but they don't totally fail. They just, you know, you just get a good gusher for, you know, days or weeks or months on end. Um, 
it's difficult for that sensor to pick up a decline in volume or decline in um, or decline in pressure. And they they said it was interesting. And of course, uh, some of the operators they said you know, a lot of those if you put the alarms to be very very sensitive, um, you'll get all these false alarms. And when you get false alarms, the operators they stop. You know, you ignore it because like God, I went out and I checked. 25 times and you know the alarm's way too sensitive so we you know we turn it back which is you know again then you have a real real problem and you know you don't get the uh you don't get the reading so anyway that's sort of where they're going and ohio also made a presentation the ohio regulators the oil and gas and i tell you between ohio and north dakota i mean those are the two probably cutting-edge states believe it or not and uh ohio you love this they got a drone Actually, the drone is a $60,000 drone, and then they, on, on it, they, they have attached a $40,000 magnometer, and what they're doing is flying over these old farm fields to find um, these old abandoned wells. And, of course, in North Dakota, you don't have quite the issue because Ohio, they started drilling there in the 1860s. You know, the record, there's no records, or, you know, you drilled a hole, you didn't plug it, you just left the casing in. And so um, the Ohio regulators are are using magnometers to find, you know, environmental, you know, where you, you could smell the gas or you could smell the oil or the water's being contaminated and like you can't figure out where it's coming from. Well, they can, they can find the stuff using these. Uh, and, of course, I ask, you know, Jesus, the state of Ohio, because every once in a while you crash these things or you get, you know, you get caught in a, a, a breeze or you know, they have mechanical failures. I said, God, you know, you, it's like crashing, you know, a Ferrari almost if you have a $100,000 vehicle <laughs> or a drone vehicle and you crash it in the farmer's field. Uh, and I asked them, are you insured? And they said, well, no, we're not insured. We're, the state of Ohio is self-insured. So, and they said, thank God we haven't had a, we haven't had a wreck yet. But, it, you know, all the, all the uh, drone pilots in both North Dakota and Ohio you know, have the licenses are all certified. Um, and actually, North Dakota, as you noted, you know, is probably well ahead of most other states, including Oklahoma, including Texas, including Louisiana, uh, on the drone on the drone issues. So that's sort of exciting. The other interesting thing with regard to this eye pipe is uh, the other this, the is the other technology besides drones and satellite data is they have these little sensors. They look like golf balls. I mean, literally, they look like a golf ball. And they, you throw it in one end of the pipe, and you pump it on down, and apparently, as it goes down, it will, it will. and I, it, they didn't explain it real well, because some of this is proprietary with the company involved, but it will, if there's small leaks, um, they'll be able to figure out, Jason, you know, where the leak is, and the size of it, and part of it's the frequency of the noise, and the um, uh, again, they were pretty cryptic because it's the technology. It's a project that is partly state sponsored, but on the other hand, these companies are reserving the patents and the technology if they figure something out that works real well. And so they put these golf balls in at one end. You know, they pump it down for 20, ten or twenty miles. They take them out. And, um, you know, read the data. And I don't know whether they, you know, you get real-time data with those or actually when you pump them out, you know, you have to download them. I, they're, they're, but they look just, you know, just about the size of, you know, less than a baseball and a little bigger than a golf ball. And, 
they shoot those down your your pipe and uh apparently they've been proven to be real effective too so that's the um those are the three types of uh technologies they're using uh with regard to the uh pipeline integrity and it's a huge issue um the pipeline integrity just because we got a bunch of older pipes as you know i mean north dakota well, actually, the U.S. year after year. I mean, we keep producing more and more oil, more and more natural gas liquids. The lines get longer. They, you know, you've got more and more people building stuff along the. Mr. Joe Dancy, ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy expert and educator. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Well, I'm never coming down. Elevators going up And I'm on at night Ever gonna come down You told me what I'd never be But you'll see you're only bringing out the best in me Elevators going up Fly I'm on my way, I'm gonna make it Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Here we go. Burger steaks, holidays. That's the kind of world. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy educator and energy expert. Well, also the U.S. year after year. I mean, we keep producing more and more oil, more and more natural gas liquids. The lines get longer. They, you know, you've got more and more people building stuff along the pipeline route, so you have more and more issues with regard to, you know, strikes and disruptions. So, uh, in any event, it's a it, it's a pretty cool. It was a pretty cool project you'll hear about, and they talked about it for about an hour with a bunch of slides. So it was it was worth the time. Well, and what's going to happen from that? And I think this is part of the reason why they're being cryptic too. Your rationales and reasons were also there but a lot of it is is this is a technology that is really set up to become big data big data and so just the exponentialness of it over the next year is going to be astronomical for the industry the 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 information that they're going to be able to extrapolate and layer together uh it's in such a, a quick fashion is going to be enormous and that's part of it, too, because they don't know what the end result is yet. They, they know that how 
theory works and quantum physics and exponentiality when it comes to technology. So they know there's going to be a very good end product. Uh, as you know, lo looking through, that's why Hess is involved and Goodnight Midstream. And I'm taking a look at a few of the Oasis and Whiting, yep. One Oak. Yep. You know, I mean, these are yep. these are big companies that are involved with this, and so um, it's it's good to good to hear that they're going to these other conferences and talking about some of this technology. What else came out of there? You mentioned um, there was some uh, this iPipe and some North Dakota speakers, but how about down in the Permian? Is there any electric fracking talk that came out of this conference? And as far as uh, buzz, or was there was there anything else out of the Permian that you noticed? No, they really didn't talk about electronic fracking. I, it was interesting, though. We, we went around the, the – they, they go around the table, and all the regulators talk about how active things are and what the main problems are. And I was pretty shocked, Jason. The, uh, the, there's a lot of areas, a lot of states that are not real active right now, and most of those you know, have you know, a lot of the natural gas plays, obviously. And so North Dakota is doing okay. You're not – if things aren't – Things aren't rocking like they were, you know, a few years ago, but they're still doing okay. Texas Permian Basin is doing, you know, pretty good. That's the hot spot to be. But you go back and you talk to some of the, you know, the Pennsylvania regulators, the Ohio regulators, the West Virginia, and part of the problem there is a lot of the prospects are natural gas, and part of the other problem is you got too much natural gas, so the price is really low and then you have issues you know with the pipelines they're trying to get it to market and everything's getting gummed up because the, of the opposition that you, know, you finally you can you get those pipelines built but it takes you know a, a series of lawyers and courts and judicial judicial decisions but they um so i was surprised that uh you know when we have you know, 2018, we had record crude oil, we had record natural gas, we had record natural gas liquid production. But, you know, a lot of states, well, for example, Michigan, the guy, the Michigan regulator, you know, said, uh, you know, we had, believe it or not, we have a hundred year low in, in drilling permits um, last year in 2018. And part of it's because, well, there isn't, you know, Michigan has a few reefs up there and they have a, a basin, but they said, you know, part of it's just the, the natural gas and, uh, you know, no one has a, a, a big interest. Um, Oklahoma seemed to be doing okay. And one of the things, this is probably the most significant thing that I've pulled out, and it's, it's this is not a North Dakota problem, and um, it's induced seismic. And you know, apparently the induced seismic issues that we saw in Oklahoma are sort of slowly increasing over in the Permian and in and. Both New Mexico in the Delaware Basin, as well as in the Midland Basin in Texas. So, um, and the Oklahoma regulators told me that a couple people I was talking to them afterwards, and they said, "God, it must not have heard that right." And you actually went and checked it. What the regulators said is, you know, the the number of events in Oklahoma has dropped from like, um, oh, geez, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like like four or five per day down to like less than one per day which is a, a magnitude of 2.7 so because they're they've reduced the amount of water that can be injected in the pressures and disposed of but what they said now is the remaining the remaining uh induced seismic events are being triggered by the actually by the fracking and this is not good news because because what it means is you can control your 
your wastewater and you know how many wells you drill and where you put them and make people but if you're generating uh induced seismic from your fracking operations and this is oklahoma only this is you know the oklahoma regulators and i went and i talked to them i said gee do you have a study on that can you have any writing and they said, well no we can show you though and we know there's a correlation between fracking which gives um you know the anti-frackers that's you know we don't want any fracking at all you know gives them a, a chair i guess to stand on but again the good news is at least if you know, they do seismic issues i don't know whether it's the geology or the rock up there but in north dakota you don't you don't have those issues it's a much smaller issue in the permian basin and in texas but it is it is an issue and it's increasing it's been a you know, pretty big issue in Oklahoma, although they've really done a good job regulatory-wise, you know, getting those numbers down, um, getting those numbers down to you know something that's uh, that's really reasonable. And and um, in any event, uh, yeah, the numbers, I guess, the, the Oklahoma numbers. I just pulled them up here. 2014, there was 5.4 seismic events per day in Oklahoma. Today or or this year, it's 0.75. So they've really, you've cut, you know, God, you've cut 80% of the seismic events out, but the ones that are left are due to the fracking. And, of course, you look at the amount of water and sand you stick in a well, you can sort of understand why you might have some minor uh, frack issues, induced seismic issues, because it's a, you, you go, I go up and down I-35 here from between Dallas and Oklahoma City, and, man, there's, you know, there, like every other truck seems to be either have, drilling pipe on it or it has casing on it or it has or it's a sand truck full of fracking sand and hell they all drive 85 miles an hour probably just like up in the balkan <laughs> and so you get behind a truck and you know you're going to get a ticket because they're just they're just wheeling down the highway so mr joe dancy ask you to hold that thought for just a moment we're going to take a quick pause when we come back we'll continue the conversation with joe dancy energy expert and educator my name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Write a new song. That's my life. Well, that's my life. Yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life. There ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all along picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. You can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. I got a big bus with a TV and a bar, and a little room in the back for me and my old guitar. I gotta stop and fuel up every 500 miles, give a picture to the waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style. That's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. I tell them, forget it. But you can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. We get home from Nashville on a Monday night. Record songs on Tuesday and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. Well, 
that's my life. Yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life. There ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. And I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Yeah, brother, you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy, energy educator and energy expert. You know, I was making a few notes while you were talking, and I just started thinking about, you know, the natural gas that's going on here. And I, I can remember Lee Tillman from Marathon Oil telling me, it's really difficult economically to ship a molecule all the way to South America, you know. And, and I understood what he was saying there, that price of natural gas is not warrant the marketplace to invest in it yet. And I get that, okay. But at the same time, man, there's such an abundance of it. And you've seen the flaring. And nobody wants to talk about the flaring. And to me... This is an issue that needs to be addressed immediately because we can do something about it. That's that's the reason. It's not because it's 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 a blight and it's an eyesore and it's not because of this and that. Because listen, if we're going to start picking and choosing, then I've got a laundry list much much higher in priority than this stuff. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because we do put a lot of money towards wind energy, and we have. We've put a lot of money towards solar energy, and we have for the last 10 years at least. And over the course of 10 years, their, their results have not been impressive. And I don't think that is a political statement. I think that, that they would tell you that as an industry, that they failed. They, they were going to have a terawatt of, of uh, storage capacity for the solar industry by now, and they don't have that available to the marketplace. Wind energy has gone so far backwards they don't even have a reclamation program in place yet for these giant wind turbines that are going to end up just being an eyesore that don't that do not work on some farmer's land in 20 years. So right. to suggest whether we should take a look at diverting some of those subsidies to the natural gas world is not out of line in my mind. That is not a political thing that that is a worthy question to be pontificated by leaders. And I'm not hearing that conversation. 
is I don't know if it's because of the anti-drilling movement that's going on, the fact that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are talking about banning oil and gas drilling in their actual platform so that the narrative has gotten that extreme. But I want to know, I'd like to know your opinion on what I'm talking about here to where should we at least be having a conversation about maybe subsidizing the natural gas industry? Because the science projects are there and the oil and gas companies, they've got they, they, you know, they, they've got accountants and shareholders that are going to dictate that they're that they can only invest in certain ways. So instead of taking more money from them in fees and taxes and regulations, what about if they got some natural gas money to spend? Then all of a sudden, these small companies that have these science projects, they get a nice little influx of money, and then boom, you've got a whole new economy working like never before. Talk to me a little bit about the natural gas futures and what I just basically. Um, I don't know. I, I, that was a little bit of a war and peace question there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the theory. It's uh, what is interesting. I was going to bring up that yeah, the natural gas flaring has the regulators have done a pretty good job, especially in North Dakota, to build them. I mean, it takes a little bit of time to build that stuff out. You just can't go slap pipeline in the ground. But it the the flaring has decreased substantially, from what I understand. And it really didn't come up at the conference at all, although I know it's still an issue uh, in the Permian Basin. And I know they're building out the pipelines, and actually the capacity has really taken a big jump upward uh, for natural gas as well as crude oil or will in the next uh, two or three months. So um, I will tell you, I've talked to some natural gas liquids experts, and they were actually one of them came and talked to my class at OU, and he essentially said, you know, the natural gas liquids are something that most people consider it a nuisance, so most people don't really look for it. But if you if you if you actually go and you put these projects together, they can be very very profitable because you know nobody appreciates the value. And there's four or five companies that are active and for natural gas liquids. Of course, that's not natural gas, but it's the the heavy stuff that comes out, the relatively heavy stuff that comes out of natural gas. They said, you know, you can make a lot of money, and then you you know you clean up the gas and can you know, send it down, send it down the road. But from an economic standpoint, and actually just from a you know long-term standpoint, we have so much natural gas in the United States. It it'll you know it'll be 50 to 100 years before we have any issues, if then, um, with regard to. And so between now and then, what you know what what is happening? Well, you'll love this, Jason. Um, what is happening? You know, not only in the United States, but in Canada, the week before we had this regulator, regulators meeting, and there were a number of regulators there from uh, from Canada, apparently some company up in uh, Alberta, essentially, they just shut the doors. They said, you know, Alberta, you guys have screwed up. The politicians and regulators had screwed up the market so bad. You know, the price of natural gas was zero. Um, they, they essentially took 4,700 wells, gave the pipeline, the keys, laid off all their employees and said, you know, Alberta, now you're in charge of this. And, you know, it's there's actually $320 million worth of plugging liability. You know, if you can't if you can't figure out, well, if you can't regulate reasonably, and, of course, you know, the regulators take on this, well, it's a function of the natural gas market. You know, gas is so cheap, they should have been drilling for oil. On the other hand, as you and I know, you know, the, some of the pipeline issues up there, the reason the prices for Canadian oil and Canadian 
natural gas are so much cheaper is they, you know, they're landlocked and part, part of it's, you know, their, their political system isn't allowing the pipelines to be built to, you know, access their natural resources, which is an incredibly, um, well, it's, it's very damaging. Obviously this company was essentially bankrupt and they just said, Hey, you know, here's the keys. Apparently all the executives resigned, the board resigned, you know, the shareholders realized that they, they took a total hit. Companies were zero. Actually, as company has a negative net worth, and uh, and apparently this happened in Pennsylvania also within the last six months, where some company apparently handed over a, about a thousand wells apparently to the to the state and said, "Hey, we don't have the money to plug these. You know, they're not economic." And uh, and that's that is a problem that some of the regulators are bringing up. That you know the the some of these marginal wells, as they get depleted, you know, the unconventional as well as conventional are being are not being plugged correctly. They're not being remediated, or they're being sold to, you know, Joe's Oil Company, and I run it out of my garage, and I have no assets, so I really can't, you know, I really can't plug the wells when they need to be plugged. And um, now, where all this goes, you know, Lord knows. It's part of its economics, part of its regulations, and it it gets to the point. And again, this is. There is a balance if you start regulating and regulate too aggressively and you make everybody, if you make the project, the property worth zero, you know, they'll, you know, you'll file bankruptcy or you'll walk away and, and the state, the state or the province will be end, end up, you know, remediating properties that, um, that, uh, you know, might've been viable, uh, with, with prices a little more robust, especially natural gas prices. But, but I like your theory about natural gas um, being at least maybe not subsidized, but at least being encouraged uh, versus versus wind and versus solar. And that was energy educator and expert Joe Dancy. I'd like to thank Mr. Dancy for joining today's program. To listen to the entire interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, even the YouTubes. All of our social media links are available at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. That's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank Joe Dancy once again for joining the program. And you folks for tuning in and listening, whether you're on the radio. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. Or if you're checking us out online or maybe through one of our podcasts like iTunes, we appreciate you choosing us as your content. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds.
You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery.